Well, this morning we're continuing with the theme of the awesome God. And Steve has given me the awesome task of preaching on the sovereignty of God this morning, which is an awesome thing to actually even consider. So, without further ado, let's get stuck in and see where we go. Who knows the film which this slide represents? Anybody? No. Sorry? No, not Conair. Nobody's seen the film. Neither have I, so I don't know if it's any good or not. It's called Next. It's about a guy called Chris Johnson who can see into the future for two minutes. And the FBI want to tap into this power to prevent a terrorist attack. I suppose you, like me, have often thought, I wish I could see into the future. What's going to happen next week or next year? Wouldn't it be nice to know the lottery numbers that come up on Saturday, yeah? And we thought about what I would do with all that money. Maybe you're a Leicester City supporter. I'm going back to football because I've got to after this amazing events of this weekend. They finished near enough bottom of the premiership last season. Everybody thought they would go down at the end of this season. They were 5,000 to 1 odds against winning the premiership title. One supporter put £10 on at the beginning of the year. He's just been and collected £50,000. Wouldn't you have loved to have known that? Somebody said, yes, somebody's being honest. Thank you. Come on, you probably all think what I would do with £50,000. But there are two particular lines from this film next. And speaking to one person, Chris Johnson says this. He speaks to this person and says, I've seen every possible ending and none of them are good for you. Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? I've seen every possible ending and none of them are good for you. For somebody else, he said, somebody said this to him, if you can see into the future, you can save it. You can change, you can alter the course of events. And this morning, you may not know the future is what's going to happen in your life, but I know somebody who does. And that someone can give you a future and a hope. We have a God who just doesn't look into the future for two minutes, but knows the very end from the beginning. Who knows everything there is to know about every situation and circumstance of your life and my life. Who knows everything that will happen concerning our country. He knows what's going to happen with the EU referendum. I know what I hope will happen, but that's not for me to say. And he knows what's going to happen in the rest of the world to the rest of mankind. He knows everything at all times. He knows the end from the beginning. And with my tiny, finite mind, I would say, as John McEnroe said, you cannot be serious. As that ball flew that uh, chalk dust up from the line and the umpire called it out. His famous words, you cannot be serious, he said to the umpire. McEnroe could not believe what the umpire was saying. And sometimes, you know, we as Christians cannot believe what God says in his word. 
This is the sovereign God who knows all things from beginning, from the beginning of time to the end of time and beyond. He's the eternal God. Sometimes we have difficulty getting our mind around it. You know, the Bible is not something to be understood. God's word. We can understand parts of it, but there's some parts of the Bible we will never understand. God doesn't call us to understand it all. What he calls us to do is to believe it. It's to believe it. Let me tell you, the Bible clearly states that God is an awesome, sovereign God who knows all things past, present and future. He's working out his plans in the earth and also has plans for your life and for my life. question I need to ask again is do you really believe it? Do you really, not just up here, do you believe it in here? Do you believe what God says about himself? Or you just give mental assent to it. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah 46, verses 8 to 11. It's God speaking to his people. And I'm going to read for the New Living Translation. And Jeremiah says this, Do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I've done in the past. For I alone am God. Get that. I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do and I will do it. This passage oozes the sovereignty of God. It just oozes the sovereignty of God. But before we get into it, I just want to give you a wee bit of background to what was happening when Isaiah spoke these words. The northern kingdom, the tribes of Israel, had rebelled and disobeyed God and fallen to the Syrians. And Judah, the southern kingdom, was well on its way to its own fate. Israel was supposed to be the vineyard of God. It was supposed to produce a fruit of righteousness and obedience. And instead, it produced the exact opposite to what God desired. And they ended up in captivity to the Babylonians. And in chapters 1 to 39, Isaiah deals with, um, starts prophesying regarding Israel's rebellion and its punishment. Then closes with prophesying about the coming king. And the redemption of Israel. Chapters 40 to 66, known as the Book of Consolation, Isaiah speaks not only the restoration of Judah and of Israel, but the coming of the servant king that we read about in Isaiah 53. So, what do we mean when we speak about the sovereignty of God? One reference book says this The sovereignty of God refers to the fact that God is in complete control of the universe. Our belief in God's sovereignty is distinct from fatalism, which denies human free will. A lot of people out there who are not Christians are fatalists. They say, case or are, what will be, will be, with no control over anything. And sometimes we as Christians can be guilty of saying the very same thing, as though nothing can change anything in our lives or our circumstances. 
As Christians, we believe we have a sovereign God who is interested in every detail, every circumstance, and every situation of our lives. One who is there waiting to be asked. One who we can approach and seek guidance. One who, as we come in prayer to him, will change situations and circumstances on our behalf. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? If we don't, there's no point in praying to God. This book says humans are able to make genuine choices that have real consequences. God does not directly cause everything to happen, yet he does allow all that happens to happen. And ultimately, God's will is going to be accomplished. It will. We have the Bible. God's given us the end. We know what's going to happen at the end. Jesus is going to come back. Hallelujah. What a mess this world's in. How we need Jesus to come back. How we need to pray for peace in our time. When we look at Syria. When we look at parts of, uh, of Asia. When we look around the world and we say the chaos and the carnage that's going on. In all parts of the world. Come Lord Jesus. How we need peace in our time. A few scriptures. There's masses of scriptures about the sovereignty of God. Ezekiel says this is what the sovereign Lord says. To Samuel. As if it were not enough in your sight. Sovereign Lord. You have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Why? Because they believed in the sovereign God who would answer their prayers and change the situation and circumstances. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they wanted, went on to plead their course. A great theologian, Reformed theologian, A.W. Pink, a look, wrote an amazing book called The Sovereignty of God. If you want to understand the sovereignty of God, I advise you get that. It's quite deep, but it's a very, very good book. I just want to read a quote for him. He says this, What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is almighty. The possessor of all power in heaven and earth so that no one can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among the nations, setting up kingdoms and overthrowing empires and determining the course of dynasties as pleases him best. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. And at that, I think I should stop preaching and I think we should just worship God because that is a me- does not stir your heart that is the God who we worship that is the God who has called you out of darkness into light that is the God who's given you a future and a hope hallelujah God is in control of all things whether it seems he is or not And I, like you, I look around the world and I pray for Syria, I pray for the immigrants. And I think, God, what is going on? But in the end, God is faithful, God is just, and God is in control. Because as Genesis 18.25, which is my fail-safe verse, says, won't the God of heaven do what is right? And I can trust him in every situation, circumstance, in my life, and you can do the same in your life, that the God of heaven will do what is right in every situation and circumstance. 
Because he is a God of love, he's a God of truth, he's a God of holiness. He is the sovereign God. He is the sovereign God. He's in control of our lives, yet we have free will to choose. Get your head around that, to make decisions. But we have to face the consequences of our decisions. We cannot blame God for choices we make, as did Adam and Eve in the garden. God created them with the ability to choose. And in his permissive will, they chose to disobey and rebel against him. We are not fatalists. We do not say, case or or what will be. We do not just abdicate our responses, say, well, if God, you know, God ordains it, that, that this, and if that God's will. No, we say, God, will you come into this situation? We ask God to intervene, or we pray. Now, if God doesn't intervene, he's got a purpose in it. If he does, hallelujah. But even though, like Job said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'll put my trust in him. You see, God ordains some things to happen, and no one can thwart his plans or purposes, but he also allows other things to happen. I'm going to get my own back on Steve now. There is God's ordained will and his permissive will, which we're not going to get into this morning, but Steve might want to preach on that at some later date. But it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Get your heads around it. John Piper, the great theologian, said, God has the rightful authority, the freedom, the wisdom, and the power to bring about everything that he intends to happen. And therefore, everything he intends to come about does come about, which means God plans and governs all things. Wow. Get your head around that. But how does that affect me, you might say? Well, God knows the minute you were born. The Bible tells us they knew us in our mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5. He called you and set you apart from birth. Galatians 1.15. Not one insignificant sparrow forced the ground without him knowing about it. I was driving through something the other day and there's this big thump on my windscreen. And as I looked through my room mirror, I just saw a shower of feathers. I thought, Lord, you knew about that little sparrow that smacked into my windscreen. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. You cannot be serious. Yes, I am. He knows all the days of your life. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. Psalm 135. Whoever the Lord pleases, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Both riches and honour come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Again, these are just a couple of verses. There's many more talk about the sovereignty of God. But what did the sovereignty of God, how did that affect your salvation? You see, some people say, well, I came to God. I chose to hand my life over. No, 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 no. You didn't choose. The Bible says that no one comes to Jesus unless what? The Father draws them. God, in his grace and his wisdom and his mercy, drew you and drew me to himself. And then, miracle upon miracle, he gave us the faith 
to respond to the message and be saved and to be born again. Hallelujah. The Bible says no one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them. We are saved by grace through faith. A gift from God, the Bible says. And as we get to this passage, I want to look at three things that Isaiah said. And the first three things that he says, do not forget, keep it in mind and remember. So what is it he tells them not to forget? He tells them not to forget the difference between him and the false gods of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, etc., etc., etc. Their gods were made out of wood and silver, coated with gold or whatever. They were inanimate objects. They had to be carried here, there, and everywhere. They couldn't intervene in the affairs of men. Do you remember Elijah? For those who know or don't know, Elijah had a contest with the prophets of Baal, the false gods, and they were supposed to make a wood pile, put a sacrifice on, on top of it, call down their God to bring fire. The prophets of Baal cut themselves and cried out for hours upon hours upon hours. And Elijah was getting fed up of it. He said, you better call a bit longer. He's maybe gone holdy or your God's asleep. And in the end, they gave up. What does Elijah do? Get a few buckets of water, chuck it on the, 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 the wood, soak it through, and they're looking. And I'd be thinking, and then he calls on his God. And what does his God do? Fire comes. The sacrifice is burnt up. This is our God who intervenes in the affairs of men when we call upon his name. I know there's the problem with unanswered prayer, but God answers when we call. What about us today? Are we apt to forget who God is? The sovereign creator God who saves us and provides us for us who gives us, the Bible says, all things to enjoy, who has given us everything we need for life and godliness, so the Bible says. The Israelites forgot who their God was, and they thought they could manage without him. And the price they paid for their rebellion and disobedience was captivity and slavery. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God is vital for us today. Surely if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, Everywhere at the same time, we can and should put our faith and trust completely in him. It's vital we know the truth about who God is from the Bible. Question I want to ask, who is the God that you serve this morning? Is he a God of your own understanding? I've heard people say, well, my God wouldn't do that. And my God would do this. And my God wouldn't behave like that. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Is that the God of the Bible? Is that the God of the Bible? A God of your own understanding? Well, we'll have a bit of this, we'll have a bit of that. I don't like that bit. No, we, we take the whole of this from cover to cover. We don't decide to pick bits out that we like, that suit us. We have to struggle with the hard bits as well as the easy bits. The bits we understand and the bits we don't understand. The bits that God reveals to us and the bits he doesn't reveal to us. Is your God this morning the God of money? The God of self? Or is it the true God? The God that's revealed through his word, the Bible, and through the word that became flesh, his son Jesus Christ. You see, God reveals himself to us through the Bible as well as through his son. 
And through the Bible, we read and discover who the true living God is. His dealings, his character, his attributes. And in Jesus, God revealed himself in human form so we could fully identify with him and he could fully identify with us. The Bible says, they that know their God shall do exploits. Do you want to do exploits for God? Get to know him. Get to know him. See, he won't trust things to people who don't really know him properly. He wants you to know him. The more we know him and trust him, the more exploits we will do. So do not forget all he has done for you and will do for you in the future. Secondly, he says, keep it in mind. I thought, what does he mean, keep it in mind? I think he means keep it in the forefront of your thinking. That God is the sovereign God, all-powerful, all-knowing God. Why? Because it will affect every part of your Christian walk, knowing that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and ever-present. To be honest, that puts a bit of fear in me, knowing that God is all-powerful, all-present. I think, God, you know about everything I do from the moment I wake to the moment I go to sleep and the hours in between. If he knows everything from the end, from the beginning... The God who watches over us and cares for us, surely we can trust him implicitly, implicitly, and we can obey him. I'll go back to trust and obey, for there's no other way. This means we can trust God with our future as we come to seek him regarding the decisions we have to make. Surely if God knows the future and wants the best for us, we should be able and willing to submit to his authority and his will in and over our lives. And we should lead us to complete obedience. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. If God is not sovereign, how can we trust him with every part of our lives? When we say the sovereignty of God, we are referring to our God who is all-knowing, in total control, and has the absolute right and authority to do all that he pleases. Nobody tells God what to do. People have tried it, but he doesn't. In his book, If God is in Charge, Steve Brown says this. He tells a story of a class his associate pastor was teaching, in which he said that God is sovereign. God is love, and no matter how bad things get, Christians should praise him. He went to say that the real test of praise is not when things are going good, but when they are going bad. During the question and answer period, a man raised his hand and said, I just can't buy into what you say about praising God in the midst of evil and hurt. I don't believe that when you lose someone you love through death, or you have cancer, or you lose your job, that you ought to praise God. I don't think he's actually saying that. I don't think he's actually saying that. We don't praise God for death or cancer or all things, but in it we can praise God. My sister is still alive today when she should have been dead about two years ago because she was diagnosed with cancer and only given a year to live. Even less than that, yeah, about a year. She still, she, I ring her up 
not every week, but I ring her up quite regularly. And she's so positive about God and praises him, even in her cancer that's eating away her body. She still prays, and I think, what a positive attitude. You see, it's in it. We don't accept it. Yeah, we fight against it. We pray against it. But in it, we say, God, even though you slay me like Job said, I will still praise you. I will still praise you. The guy goes on. He says, the associate pastor offered a simple yet profound answer. What other alternatives do you propose? The question begs for an answer. If God is not sovereign, then who is? If God is not in control, who's running the show? You know, 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always, in everything give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything give thanks. Notice, it's not for, it's in. The situation I find myself in, I will praise God. Listen, we do not have all the answers to things that happen to us or our loved ones. Sin, sickness and suffering are all due to the fall. When man turned his back on God. We need to remember that our bodies, our bodies, our mortal bodies have not yet been saved. Our spirit or our soul, whatever you want to call it, has been saved. And when we die, our spirit or our soul will go to be with Jesus. And we'll be in the presence of Jesus. Wonderful. But our bodies we leave behind. They're not good to us anymore. And they will decay or be burnt up in the ground. So our bodies are decaying in this life because they've not been saved. And I think we need to understand that. Our bodies are still subject to, to decay and sin and sickness and suffering. But hallelujah, when Jesus comes back, what are we going to get? A new resurrection body. Hallelujah. A perfect body. Where we'll enjoy living on a restored earth. With no sin, no sickness, no suffering, no pain. Living in perfect harmony with one another and with God. What a glorious future we have. What a glorious future we have. It is amazing. And God has said this in his word. Jesus said, don't be afraid, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, the Christian, we shouldn't fear death. I was talking to Val the other day about Muriel. And the doctor who's a Christian said the Christian's in a win-win situation. Yeah, we are. We're in a win-win situation because if we die, we go absence from the body at home with who? The Lord. Hallelujah. Yes. Good. (laughs) we've we've got to get hold of that that this body is decaying and will die it will die one day thirdly remember through the prophet Isaiah God tells us not to forget but he also tells us to remember if you look through Jewish history they have all these ceremonies and feasts and celebrations the main one is the feast of Passover that they, they celebrate every year on a certain day and for those who know, it's when God sent Moses to bring the people out of uh, Egypt and deliver them from bondage and slavery. They had to put, kill a, a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, so the angel of death would pass over. Wonderful example of deliverance. God delivering his people. But also it's a prophetic act. 
It looked to the future when God provided Jesus, the spotless lamb. We've been singing about the blood this morning. Who had shed his blood to deliver us from the bondage and slavery to sin. Remember the things I have done in the past. We need to remember what God has done for us. Lest we ever forget. Let's remember our salvation that has been bought at such a cost. When we have communion, Jesus said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Never forget your salvation bought at such a cost. Never forget the way that God has blessed you, guided you, provided for you over the years. Never forget, remember, make a point of remembering. And he's got a promise for the future. It's good to remember things like, for some of us, birthdays, anniversaries. And it's good for us as Christians to remember at Christmas and to celebrate Christmas, the birth of our Saviour. At Easter, to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I knew some Christians up in Newcastle, they used to celebrate two birthdays. And I think that's a wonderful idea. Celebrate their physical birth and their spiritual birthday. Wonderful. Quickly, there's three main attributes to which God, which for me speak of his sovereignty. And let me say, these are from his word and are to be believed and not necessarily understood. The first one is his omnipotence. Two Latin words, omni means all and potent means powerful. And throughout scripture we see that nothing is too hard for God. Even Jeremiah said that. And the Bible makes it clear that God is not just God, he is the almighty God who possesses all power and authority. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Not just some, all things are possible. So we've got his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, his omniscience. He is the all-knowing God. Groom says, God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Now try and get your head around that because I'm still trying to get my head around it. But we just go on. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God knows all things that will happen and all things that exist. As we said earlier, not a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. How does he do it? I have no idea. Neither did you, because God's not revealed that to us. And then you've got his omnipresence. God is not limited by time and space. Psalm 139, that Heather quoted from this morning, says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We can never get away from God or the presence of God. I cannot get my mind around the fact that Tim Peake, the British astronaut, is there up in space at the Space Centre 
And he's operating some robot down on Earth that's going through sand as, you know, imitating Mars. And there he's up there, and he's operating this thing down on Earth. And he must be looking. He sees this tiny globe down there. Oh, that's Earth down there. And he's operating this thing. How do you get your mind around that? You know, they're talking now about having driverless cars. If they said that 10 or 20 years ago, we would have said, you're stupid. Don't be daft. Even GPS, you know, you sat nav, you put that on, the little voice says, at the round, 100 yards roundabout, whatever, turn right. Oh, thank you. Turn right. Go down the road, then turn left. You know, it's, it's, who would have believed it 10, 20 years ago? Nobody. Nobody. You can't get your head around it. We can't get around, around the awesome sovereignty of God. There are mysteries in the Bible that God has chosen to keep hidden. We can speculate, we can discuss, but there are things we'll never know this side of heaven. And maybe when we get to heaven, we will never know them either because they will be of no consequence. So in conclusion, Job 11, 7 to 8, he says this to us. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? No. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? No. They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? Stand in awe and amazement. They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Very little unless God reveals it to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. Why? So that we may follow all the words of this law. In other words, obey all the words of this law. God has revealed himself through his word and his son. It shows us that God is love, is holy and forgiving, etc., etc. God doesn't ask us to understand it all, but in faith to believe it and in so doing, obey it. I'm finishing with John Piper. He says, The sovereignty of God is not a dispute over doctrine, but the foundational issue of scripture. If God is not sovereign, then he is not worthy of worship. If God is not in total control, then I cannot trust him with every part of my life. See why it's important, this doctrine. If God does not have authority, God can't direct everything according to his purposes. If God is not all these things, then we are calling him a liar because God makes these claims. God is not a liar, is he? We know he's true. As I said earlier, I do not know or understand everything in this Bible. But through God's grace and mercy and through faith in him, I have come to know God and trust him, that his word is true. His word can be trusted totally. He is the sovereign God over all things, who loves and cares for me, who loves and cares for you. The one who is faithful, the one in whom I can completely trust. The one who is faithful to you. The one in whom you can completely trust. God wants you to know it in the same way today. Let me just say, if you're not a Christian, this is the sovereign God of the Bible who loves you and cares so much for you and loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross that you might know forgiveness of your sins you might know a cleansing of the past and that you might receive his spirit, be born again 
and give you a new start in life. The God who will give you a future and a hope. If you are a Christian this morning, this sovereignty of God wants to assure you that whatever is happening in your life, he is in control. He is working out his plans and his purposes. And all he asks you to do is submit to him and trust him. Trust in his unfailing love. Let's just pray. Lord, we confess we don't understand. We understand very little of your word in some ways. When we look at the awesomeness of God, when we look at the sovereignty of God, when we look at your omnipotence, your omnipresence, we can't get our minds around it. But God, we know you are all these things and more. And that you love us with an everlasting love. You are God of gods, King of kings. You are the almighty God, the one true living God. And Lord, we just say, all we can do is fall at your feet and worship you as the awesome God you are. Amen.